Douglas MacArthur was born January 26, 1880. He passed away April 5, 1964. He was an American general and also the field marshal in the Philippine Army. He was a chief of staff of the United States Army during the 1930s, and then he later played a prominent role in the Pacific Theater of World War II. Receiving the Medal of Honor, he was designated to command the invasion of Japan in November 1945, but accepted their surrender on September 2nd, 1945. MacArthur also a father when he was in the Philippines during the early years of World War II, found room in a place where he could sit down and write a letter. He wrote a letter to his sons. This particular letter that he wrote, I want to read it to you, begins with, Build me a son, O Lord, who will be strong enough to know when he is weak and brave enough to face himself when he is afraid. One who will be proud and unbending and honest defeat and humble and gentle in victory. Build me a son whose wishbone will not be his backbone. One who will be a son who will know thee and to know himself is the foundation and really the stone of knowledge. Lead him, I pray, not in the path of ease and comfort, under the stress and spur of difficulties and challenge. Here, let him learn to stand up in the storm. And here, let him learn compassion for those who fail. Build me a son whose heart will be clean, whose goal will be high, a son who will master himself before he seeks to master other men. And one will learn, learn to laugh, yet never forget to weep. One who will reach into the future, yet never forget the past. After all these things are his, add, I pray, enough of sense of humor, so that he may always be serious, yet never take himself too seriously. Give him humility, so that he may always remember the simplicity of greatness, the open mind of true wisdom, the meekness of true strength. Then his father will dare to whisper, I have not lived in vain. General Douglas MacArthur. Think about raising sons. I don't think about raising daughters. Never had to do that. And God never gave me that that chore, um, responsibility. But in raising boys, I never tried to make it easy for them. I'd like for them to be able to struggle a little bit and then not help them in their struggles unless they really ask me. My son was here today. I remember one time when he was in the kitchen and we were remodeling the kitchen. I think he was three years old. And uh, we had a big pile of of stuffing that's underneath carpeting. It was really heavy. It was black. And I put it in plastic bags, and the bags were just extremely heavy. And so I was able to... Uh, take one of the bags and head out the door and Josh said, I want to help you, Dad. And he grabbed one of those bags and he went for the door and kind of passed me up. And he was dragging the, ba- the bag across the floor. He got to the door and when he got into the doorway, he began to pull and tug and it was too heavy for him to pick it up. 
I just watched him. And I kept watching him. He'd look at me, look at the bag. Finally, he went around the bag, got behind it, and began to pull it through the door. It was a struggle for him just to get through there, but he wanted to help me. He was so excited to help me. It was like, I get to do this. I get to carry this. I get to help my dad. And I just kept staring at him, and pretty soon, he knew he was almost defeated. He looked up to me, and he said, Daddy, would you help? So I I picked up the bag and picked up him, picked up both bags and took them outside, and I said, Joshua, if you ever need help, I want you to ask. That's the way our Lord is. If you've got burdens this morning and cares and difficulties and you're going through some tough things, you've got a Father in heaven who's saying, I will help you. But you've got to ask. You see, sometimes things don't come easy just because you're struggling. And, and you that are sitting there today and thinking that everything's going to take place and someone's going to come and rescue you, that may never happen until you call upon God. It's interesting as we look at the passage here because we're talking about Abraham, you know, the father of the nation of Israel. And you remember the song, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. You know the song, right? Should we sing it this morning? No, we better not. I'm glad we're in agreement. But this particular passage is interesting because because uh, Abraham's pretty old here. If you look back at the the previous chapter, let's go back actually to the 17th chapter. Look at at verse number 1. It says, And when Abraham was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abraham, or Abram, and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me, and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. And neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham. For a father of many nations shall I I have made thee, and I will make thee exceedingly fruitful." And I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, in their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee, and thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. This is what we call the Abraham, Abrahamic covenant. And we know this. This is basic 101. But it helps us understand a little bit more of what the, 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 the 18th chapter is talking about. You look at verse number 24. It also shows these 99 years of, old, years of age. We look at 15th verse. Let's look at chapter 17, verse 15. And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai, thy, thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah which means princess, shall her name be. And I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. What a, what a beautiful story of Abraham and Sarah. And we understand that this is actually coming from God. God is 
helping them. We know that the next chapter opens up with three men coming. And if you think about Abraham and his wife, Sarah, they're not in a beautiful house. They're not even really in a house. They're in a tent in the wilderness. They're struggling there in the tent, and there's a little bit of a shade perhaps, and he's sitting along the shade, and all of a sudden he sees three men coming. In verse number 1 of chapter 18, And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground. Now the conversation goes on with the men. You just go ahead and stay here. I'm going to go get some food for you, and I'm going to cook something for you. He's being hospitable, and he's excited about it. He tells Sarah, come on, let's, get, let's make some food for these three. They do that. They're able to feed them. He's looking for an answer, and he's hoping that they'll have a baby and that they'll get going with all of these nations. And then they say this as they leave. Look at verse number 10. It says, He said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah, thy wife, shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. And we know the story. But the problem here was that it was going to take place according to God's time, and not according to Abraham's time. What is God doing in all of this? A hundred years old. She's 99. And he's a hundred. That's getting up there. I think about when I turned uh, 50, I think it was, my wife said, you're, you're halfway to 100 now, Dean. You know, real encouraging. You know, I think I was 45, actually, and she said, you're halfway to 90. You know, I'll be 60 my next birthday. It's hard to believe. You know, uh, I feel it somewhat. But time, time flies, and I'm certain that it flew for Abraham. But there was a time that God was going to bless Abraham, and everything in between was in God's hands, and he was waiting. Interesting. Look at verse number 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? <laughs> at the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to what? To the time of life. Sarah shall have a son. So if we look at this and understand a little bit more what's happening, God is proving and watching and and, and wants to bless Abraham, but it's just not time yet. Do some people ever think, when is God going to bless me? I remember years ago, um, my mother-in-law was struggling with the farm. We were in the kitchen. I don't know how much money they had at the time, but we went to Menards and got the cheapest flooring you could put down. The flooring was in sections, and she said, we can use this, it's cheap enough. It was a hot, hot summer day, and we put the flooring down on the floor, and I didn't know what I was doing. Did the best we could over an old farmhouse floor that was not good to begin with. And and really, the anoleum was just going to cover up messes, really. And... uh, put a little metal bead down along it to kind of hide the seams. I didn't know what to do. So I just went ahead and did that. She thought that was wonderful. You know, I look back on it now. And remember, she was doing dishes, and, and the sink was pretty bad, and the countertop was cracked, and it had this porcelain stuff that they put on. It was all cracked up. And eventually I tried to put in a new countertop from Menards. I did the best I could. But she was doing dishes one night, and she said, when am I going to get my blessing? I was talking about my parents, how they inherited a home, and so on. And I, 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 I learned something there, that sometimes blessings aren't things, but blessings are people. And you've had them come into your life. My mother-in-law is gold. 
I love my mom. My mom's gold, too, but my mother-in-law is such a sweet lady. And I remember I learned something from her. I've learned a lot of things from her, but that day spoke to me. And I remember going back now. Her kitchen is just beautiful. They put a new floor in. They took out my countertop, put a nice one in, put new all new cupboards in, you know, and I drywalled the ceiling, did the best I could. Her kitchen looks beautiful today. Sometimes we got to wait for blessings. It doesn't come automatically. It doesn't come when we think it needs to come. Well, if things don't change, I'm going to make... No. Let God be God. Abraham learned this. And because he learned it, then God said this in chapter number 18. I just want to read verse number 19, and we didn't move on. Chapter 18, verse number 19 again says, For I know him. And again, remember that he's actually now going to bless him. And he's going to bless him because of this faithfulness to him. But this is what what he's going to do. He says, for I know him that he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice. That word justice means to do right. To do right morally. That word justice has to do with making decisions that are actually the right ones to do for God. God's decisions, seeing things through God's eyes. They, he will, they, they, those children will do that. He will do it, do justly and judgment. That's the word used for discretion or determination or coming to the right conclusion. That's following out the act of not just doing right, but these children also with him would be able to make these things and do what's right before God. And the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he had spoken of him. And so Abraham, first of all, God knew Abraham. Does he know you? Do you talk to him frequently? Or maybe just talk to him whenever you get in trouble. How about going to God when you're not in trouble, dads? How about making it consistently every morning you wake up and say, Lord, it's such a blessing to be able to be with you. And thank you for being faithful with me. And thank you for loving me and caring for me. See, sometimes we learn from passages, we learn that first of all, that God knew Abraham, but also Everything's in God's timing. And so it was here. Look at verse number 20. And the Lord said, because of the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah, it's great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me, and if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood yet still before the Lord. So we all know the story that God is going to destroy uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's asking, is there just a, a few, uh, I think it was all the way down to, first of all, it was 50, then is there 45, there's, and then there's 40, is there, is there 30, is there 20, is there 10 righteous? Remember that story? Could he find that many righteous people in that city before he destroyed it? And again, we see the... Exodus of Lot and his family and so on. And then God, of course, destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. And by the way, we have the same God sitting on the throne this morning. It's the same God. Same God of the Old Testament, same God of the New Testament. I praise the Lord for the day of grace. Don't you? Because there's a lot of things going on that we don't agree with. But God was looking for a man that he knew that would actually raise his children with the right kind of judgment and discernment. Not just rules but a relationship with God. And I think it's important for me to be able to discuss a little bit out of this particular passage. Number one is that a personal relationship with God is absolutely essential. 
That's the first thing when we're raising a family is having that personal relationship with God. Personal in relationship with the Lord. I know Abraham. Does he know Dean? Does he know you? It would be a terrible thing for him someday. You stand before him and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. You take out your license, you say, no, I'm, I'm so-and-so, I never knew you. What a terrible thing. We have to make sure that we have this personal walk with God. And it is so simple. It's simple enough for anybody to understand. Because God already has placed inside your soul that you need him. Yesterday I was walking down State Street and I got to the bottom of State Street. I was going to turn around and head it back up. I was reading some of the things that were on the walls and I was taking pictures of things. And I, I began to just kind of think in my mind that as a young boy... Uh, we stayed away from State Street somewhat because there was some odd people there, we thought. But they need the Lord, right? And I thought about how they're on those corners, the same corners now that have been desecrated somewhat. I, I thought about some of the Maranatha students standing on the corners, some of the people from Grace Baptist standing on the corners and passing tracks out. I had a young man come and approach me yesterday. Actually, he was 30 years old. I told him, you're at halftime. What are you going to do with your life? Where are you going? What direction? Do you have any decisions? Do you have any choices? And as I was leaving, he kept kind of pulling me back. His name was Devon. Uh, Interesting, as I was talking to him a little bit further, I began to see in his eyes a great need, and a great need for God. And I was able to talk with him and discuss with him his need. And, And I said to him really kindly, if something was to, someone was to pull up here right now and a car, and, and, they, and they shot us both. And I died, and you died. Do you know where you'd go? And he said, well, I think I'd go to heaven. And I said, what are you basing that upon? Why, why do you base that? Well, how can you say that? He said, well, I've been pretty good. You know? And maybe about a half an hour later, he felt the need to go into a little small archway on State Street and bow his head and receive Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. And he was happy to take a selfie with me. Folks, I was in a hurry. I had to get to the hospital. I had no time for this guy. But God wanted me to take the time with him. He says, you know what? Don't be surprised if you see me sitting in your pew someday. I said, well, I wouldn't be surprised because I know God can change people. And I know that there, are, there is a thirst out there still in these days for the gospel to be presented to people. Social distancing, social separation is, is trying to hinder the gospel. And, and I, I'm not buying it completely. I think we ought to do somewhat of adjustments and be careful. But we also need to get the gospel out. And you know, it's interesting because he gave me a hug afterwards and shook my hand. Let me tell you something. There was police sitting right there and they didn't do anything. Then I wanted to go talk to the cop, but I had to get to the hospital, right? Because there are, there are people that need the Lord. They, they don't need your smiles and your money. They, they don't need none of that. They need the Lord. Because your smiles and your money is not going to save them. But Jesus Christ will save them. It's important as we think about this because there needed to be a personal relationship with the Lord. And Abraham had that. If we look at the New Testament, it tells us that he was born again because he was saved by faith. Just like we are saved by faith. As we continue on, I thought about the passionate for his family. He must have been. Are you passionate about your family? Do you love your children? Do you really care for them? Do you guide them? Do you teach them the ways of the Lord? 
God knew that I, he could take Abraham and, and use him greatly. I'm going to make him the father of, of many nations because I can trust him. I can trust him fully. It's what's interesting, isn't it? We think about that. God is going to use him. But lastly, I think about prudent in his relationship to the world. And again, being prudent means that you, you, you don't have to run to your house and hide from the world. You don't have to. Yes, we're supposed to be separate from the world. Come out from among them and be separate. Yeah, go to your house and never come out. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about being separate in your behavior toward God. Separate from the worldly things. Separate from their ambitions. They're not the same as your ambitions. They want more than they can buy. They want to do more things than they should. They want to stay in their sin. We've been called to come out of our sin. So when we're thinking about this, I hope you understand that there is a need for us to be prudent in our relationship with the world. But you know what the world needs? They need you to get out of your home and go talk to them. <laughs> Amen? It's getting kind of quiet in here. You know, I, I think we're kind of comfortable. We're going to heaven when we die. They're going to hell unless we get out to them. Maybe seven, eight officers came yesterday, you know, or Friday. Kind of nice to talk to him. But my conversation always wants to come back to the Lord. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? I learn things if you ask questions about people. But my main goal is not to impress them. My, my main goal on Friday was not to say, look what we did. We could have put it on the sign, put it in the paper, or tell everybody. No. My main goal was to say thank you to law enforcement officers to say, we got you. We're, we're praying for you. We love you. One of the ladies stopped in. She was off duty, and she came in. She came, got a lunch, and she was leaving. And as she left, she waved, and she said, thank you so much. And you know what I said to her? I said, we're praying for you, and we love you. It's going to stick in her mind. Are they, are they weird over there? No, they're not weird. They just want to do what's right. It used to be that churches were like this all over the place. Instead of running to our homes and being afraid and thinking, oh, we're going to get... You can't scare me with heaven. And you shouldn't be scared about going to heaven. Oh, yeah, I might get something. I might spread it. Is that really your fear? You know what? I'm a little concerned. I think that they're using COVID to be lazy. Went down here to take care of some things in the garage the other night. Had to get some gasoline. It was about almost 8 o'clock at night. Went and got some gas, put it in the tanks. I walked over and talked to the neighbor. Did you ever see her yard? She's been pretty, pretty diligent, hasn't she? If you have a chance, park down there and then walk to the church. But look at her beautiful yard. It's like she should be hired to take care of the capital grounds. She just does a great job. I walked over and I said, you know what? Your yard looks so wonderful. She said, yeah. She said, I work so hard on it. You know, I got to get some more for this particular one. She's got all these little small gardens and these little places where she's planting things. And I was talking to her, and my main goal is for our neighbor to know Jesus Christ. She came a little closer than normal, and she said, I just want to tell you that I just, got, I just met two little girls. And it was like going in time, going back in time. One was Julia, and one was Eva. She remembered their names. And she said, and there was a little boy, a little blonde boy, I don't know who he was, but he was kissing my dog. (laughs) Had to be David or Joel, I don't know which one it was. But she said, 
They were respectful. They were honest. And the behavior of those children may be what wins our neighbor. Because of a father and a mother who care to raise their children in the right way. It's amazing if we think about this because the responsibility is on us, dads. Because we're supposed to bring love into the family. You know, when you preach a Father's Day sermon, you kind of want to make it fluffy and make it good. And I always think about, I don't want to bring too much conviction and so on. You know, you think, like, this can't, uh, sometimes I'll cross through things and I've done it here as I was going over this morning. But I don't think there's anything better that you can do for our nation than to be a, a, a dad of integrity. A father who does right even when no one's watching. A father who doesn't use people. A father who loves their wives. Loves their wives. Dads who love their children. I thought about this, and I think, first of all, that dad needs to know that he is the provider of the family. The father is, is charged with providing for the family, and Paul says it this way. He that did not provide for his own family has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. It's pretty strong. He told the church at Thessalonica, if a man would not work, he shouldn't eat. And let let me just say this, that I really believe when you're working, something about that. that God blesses hard work. I do the best when I'm working hard. I don't know about you, but I believe it's important for us. The entrance of sin into life meant that man had to earn his living by the sweat of his brow, This is the work, and the job then is turned into joy because you know that God has designed this. This is your portion in life. I think it's important for us to work hard. I have hardworking sons, and I worry about them. Sometimes they they bite off more than they can chew sometimes. They're kind of like their mother, not their dad. But it's interesting as you think about them because they work hard. It's a privilege to provide for the family. Is it a privilege, Dad, or is it a burden for you to to provide for the family. It should be a blessing. When you come in at night and you're tired and the boys are talking to you or the, your girls are talking to you, what a blessing. I was listening to, to Brother Paul this morning as one of his children were listening to me. He's going, yes, yes, he's busy in the office, but he was answering them. It's important. Privilege of providing for the family. This meets some deep inner desire. There also is that wonderful thing that when we get overtaxed, we can go to the Lord. Come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, you know, and I'll give you this rest. It's what we need sometimes. Help us when we're overtaken. He's to, he's, to, he's to be the provider, but he's also supposed to be the protector of the family. Protect them. I like what I learned years ago when it comes to the, to, the, to the wife and the husband and their relationship is the husband does everything he can do to protect his wife. Maybe she has faults in some areas. The husband, it protects her in those areas. And I think we need to do that with our children many times, is protect them. Families need an authority figure, amen? And the lack of it today is being seen. Like I said in my prayer this morning, the chaos in the streets is because of the chaos in the home. The fathers, where are they? You know, I was reading some statistics earlier this morning. Uh, the lack of such figure in the home with all of the suicide and the drug abuse and the alcoholism and all of the sexual issues and, and, and all of that is because the dad may be there, but he's not really there. I'm accused of this sometimes, you know, and, and I'm just being transparent. 
You know, somebody will talk to me and I'll say, can you say that again? Because I was there, but I wasn't there. Has that ever happened to you? Sure. So maybe it happens to more to some than others. I don't know. But I was thinking about these issues. Approximately 685 teams, teens become drug users every 30 minutes in our country. Wow. Protect your teens. 3,069 teens commit suicide every day in this country. No one wants to talk about that. What is lacking in a relationship? More than 3 million American teenagers have been treated for alcoholism since 1980. I found two statistics, and I'll I'll actually give you the lesser one. About 4,300 teenagers are killed each year because of drunk driving. And shame on you, Father, if you drink around your kids. I have no tolerance for alcohol, not even this much. And some Christian out there saying it's okay to drink, you'll stand before God, sir. 24 billion dollars. What it was what went out for the cost of all of the teenage issues with alcoholism and crashes. They, they added, added $28 billion in the economy cost in 2010. That's 10 years ago because of alcohol. Fathers, listen. Fathers must re, 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 be worthy and accept their responsibility that God has given to them. A man inherits some respect, but I really believe that most of the respect is actually earned, Dad. It's earned by your faithfulness to the Lord and how you treat the mom. Wives are commanded by God, of course, to give respect to the husbands. We understand that. Wife brings submission into the home. The Bible says, wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord. And the, the wife should take the time of reverencing the husband. But let me just give you this out since I'm on a roll. I think the the dad needs to be also the punisher in the home. I think mom can do a good job with it, but I think dad needs to do this. Go to your room until your dad gets home. If you have to do that, I think it's best. You know, (laughs) I I think about this when, when, um, when you send your child, why don't you, someone said yesterday, I think it was, I think it was one of the, one of the deputies that were here, it might have been Chaplain Todd said this. He said, don't send them to their room. Send them to your room. <laughs> you go to my room until your dad gets home. You got to go, go into their room. And then have the dad come home and talk to them while they're in his room rather than the child's room. Let them sit there and think about their father. He sleeps there at night, prays for them, and cares for them, and provides for them. It's a powerful thing. And then I think, lastly, that a father should be the pattern, the pattern in the home. And one congregation found that, that where both parents are in the home, 93% of the children grow up to be decent children. It's amazing. If one parent was faithful, uh, and, and, and if only one parent was faithful, the figure dropped to 73%. When both parents were only moderate, faithful attendants to church, 53% of the time the kids grew up right. 
And if the parents were casual attenders to church, the children only ended up, it was only 6% of the children turned out right. So going to church doesn't make you a Christian, but it helps you because it actually guides you and directs you. It's like the speed limit. It's like the guidelines. We all need it. This, this river has two banks, folks. And, and, and when you think about that, in order to be able to flow it right, you've got to have the Word of God. You've got to have your love in the home. And that's going to guide you to, to do what is right. This is why God chose Abraham to be the father of many nations. It goes on to say that a lot of times children, these statistics speak aloud and clear, and your children will follow you if you're leading. Walk a little plainer, Daddy said a little boy, so frail. I'm following in your footsteps, and I don't want to fail. Sometimes your steps are very plain, and sometimes they're hard to see. So walk a little plainer, Daddy, for you're leading me. I know that once you walked this way many years ago, and what you did along the way, I'd like to know. For sometimes when I'm tempted, I don't know what to do, so walk a little plainer, Daddy, for I must follow you. Someday when I am grown up, you are like what I want to be. Then I will be a little boy who will want to follow. Then I will have a little boy that will want to follow me. And I would want to lead him right and help him to be true. So walk a little plainer, Daddy, for we are following you. The Bible says that you are to be the priest of the home, dads. That's your responsibility. But it's not so hard. It's pretty easy. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign about thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and upon the gates. Fathers, your responsibility is awesome. For the next few minutes, I'm going to tell you where I failed as a, as a dad. Say, why do you focus on your failures? So that you can learn from me. You want to hear them? Here they are, number one. If I had it to do all over again, I would love my wife around the children in a better way. What would I change? I would sit down and talk to Tammy and look at her in the eyes in front of the children a little bit more. I didn't do that as much as I could have. Ephesians chapter 5, 25 says, Husband, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church. I think that's Galatians 5. Ephesians 5, I'm not sure. And gave himself for it. I would seek to be faithful in doing the small things in the home. In fact, I would actually probably... I would, I would change the oil in her car and let her know I did it. I'd go and fill the car up full, full of gas. And then I would put some, make sure she had the, the window washer stuff where it needs to be. I'd make sure that her car was better than mine. I'd make sure that she had the best of things if I could go back a little bit. Now, you're going to talk to my wife, and she said, oh, he did a great job. I have a very gracious wife. That's why I have gracious boys. 
Number two, I would listen more. Most fathers find it hard to listen. We're so busy with the burdens of work, so tired at the end of the day. But I would listen more. And I wrote it down, and I would try to refrain from words of impatience or interruptions, such as my phone. Such times can be the best times, of course, that those times when kids come to me to love them and show the kindness I need to. One evening, a small little boy tried to get his father's attention and to tell him he had a scratch on his hand. And finally, after repeated times, the father finally put his cell phone down and said, what, am I, what do you want me to do about it? And the little boy said, I just wanted you to say yes or oh. That's all I needed. I would try to understand what my child was going through a little bit more. If I could go back, I would listen to him. I'd probably get on one knee and listen to him as a little child. Instead of looking to his mom and saying, what is he saying? I would try to learn exactly what he is actually saying from a very early age. In listening, I would pay more, more attention to my son's questions. I was thinking about how that many times when it comes to the sons and the daughters, if we don't listen to them when they're little, they're probably not going to listen to us when we get old. Just the way it goes. I would seek more opportunities to give my child feelings of it's going to be okay and that I love them. I would actually give them so much security that they knew that their dad would take care of them no matter what happened, that they would have to be insecure. Insecure children do the most strangest things. And sometimes you can be the best father in the world and kids will go the wrong direction. That's just part of life. But I think I could have done a little bit better job. And many of you dads out there right now probably see the same thing. Some of you moms maybe say you could. But I'm just talking to the younger dads. Here's some things that I've learned. I would express words of appreciation more and encourage them and praise the work that they've done. My children seldom heard words of encouragement from their father. They would build things, and I would say, that's neat. Instead of getting right down and saying, I can't believe you did that. Has any child ever came to you and said, look at the Lego thing I made? Probably it's happened to you. Oh, yeah. And you say, what is it? I can see that. It's an airplane. I can see that. Get into their world. It'll help them a little bit more. Correct the wrong, but constantly commend the right. Because they really grow more by appreciation. They grow more by, by um, adoration. The last thing I would do is probably, let me give you two more. The last thing I'd probably do is spend more time with them. Not hunting or doing something I like, because my boys went hunting with me and went out in the woods and all that. But do something that they want to do. You ever see kids that make tents in the home? Well, why not make a tent with them and sleep in it with them overnight? Wouldn't that be fun, dads? Get into their world. You say, well, pastor, how come you're saying all of this? Because I think sometimes we get into these routines of just saying dads need to be better dads, but here's how you can be a better dad. Arthur Gordon tells an interesting experience from his youth. When I was around 13 and my brother was 10, 
Father promised to take us to the circus. But at lunch, there was a phone call. Some urgent business was required his attention downtown. My brother and I braced ourselves at the kitchen table. We looked at each other. We put our heads down. And then we heard my dad say, no, I won't be coming in today. I'm taking my boys to the circus. Pretty powerful. Yeah. And then he came back to the table. The mother was smiling the biggest. The circus keeps coming back, he told the men. But I just have one life with these boys. And they'll be gone. I think there's one other thing I would do is laugh more. You know, sometimes we have the difficulties that we go in life. And the Marine Corps changed me in some, in some ways. And, and I have to, of course, know that I can depend upon the fruit of the Spirit and I can yield to the Spirit of God. But I take things more seriously than I should. I expect out of people a little bit more than I should. But there's one thing that I would change is I'd be a little bit more gentle with my sons. Just something I hope you can learn from me. I did some, a lot of good things, but there's some things that I could have changed. How about you? Are you walking with God? Does God know you? Can God trust you in raising children? It's not just something you just can do. It's like it's something that takes time and care. I hope I can turn your hearts, fathers, to your children today and that you'll love them and care for them. Let's pray. Before we pray this morning, every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you're sitting here, you say, Pastor, I hear you. I've struggled. And God spoke to my heart this morning. And talk to, talk to God about it. Let God be God and focus on him. He is a wonderful God. He, he knows that we're weak. He knows that we need help. But maybe the Lord has spoke to you to the place where you just want to come and kneel down and ask for help, ask for strength from the Lord. You can come today. The altar will be for you. But maybe there's somebody here that still has not entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're one of those childs, one of those children that are struggling with, with not really feeling secure, and not really feeling that sense of love from your parents at times. Why don't you come? Talk to God about it. Sit down with your parents and share that with them. The only hope is the Lord. Maybe there's someone that still has not received Christ as their Savior. You come. Maybe you want to join our church. Maybe you want to get baptized. And you come. With every head bowed and every, every eye closed, would you stand to your feet? No one looking around this morning. Uh, let's take some time. And if you need to come, you come. Whatever the need is. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would guide in the invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.